what is your absolute gotta have side dish at Thanksgiving? I mean, if you if this is not present, I'm not talking about turkey or ham. None of none of the big courses. I'm talking about the side because you know the side dishes often I find myself at the holidays eating the most of, and also later like you know doing drive bys on. So you know what. <laughs> Nobody's what? looking. I'll take one of these little small plates and I'll go back yeah. through and I'll yeah, yeah. yeah. or just take the whole cast of um, dish. You know? So so I'm a sucker for anything with hash browns. Uh, so mm. like if there's like a hash brown casserole or something, but I'm also Ooh. like mac and cheese. Like that's the one day I like got to hit the mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are probably like the 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 secret ones. Like that I'm like really they're not even like mashed potato. Uh, like they don't have any like hash brown casserole or like right. mac and cheese or you know i mean there has to if it's not hash browns you gotta have mashed potatoes right like you gotta have oh, some no. kind of like starch there right you well know? that that was my vote it's like just like i i'm i'm as simple as it gets i'm like i just want some really groovy mashed potatoes and gravy that's that's a like i can just for days Classic. sit down and eat it because i just never eat i only eat it once a year like you're saying like i'll sit down at thanksgiving like i won't I don't feel myself compelled to make mashed potatoes and gravy that often. So, you know, it's just like, eh, you know, this is, this is the time of year I want to eat it. And it just always, for some reason, it just tastes better on Thanksgiving. I don't know if it's because, you know, it's familial cooking or just, you know, comfort memory, whatnot. Do you still, I mean, but you don't eat turkey, right? I mean, no. you, you, you don't, eat, right. No, no, no. So no. what do you, what's the substitute? Uh, it actually, it varies every year. I mean, we get to try something different every year, um, which, you know, uh, uh, is always adventurous, uh, which by definition, Jeff is non-traditional by definition. That's non-traditional. I think it's cool. I just, you know, I'm just, but that's the main course though. You know, I mean, I, I just, I, but I've got to have the sides. That's what I'm saying. Like the, the sides are very, very important. Those don't change. Um, yeah, like this year we're doing a version of a Wellington, you know. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like we get to be kind of cool and, and, and is, you know, is Gordon Ramsay coming in and cooking it for you? Like, is he gonna be, you know? Oh no, baby! Come it's on, a, what are you doing? What is this shite? Right? <laughs> you can't use you can't use tofu for beef. Shite. <laughs> What are you doing? What are you doing? No, we, you know, that's the other thing too. Is just like I have to, you know, make it, you know, or we have to, you know, figure out what we're what we're going to do. But it's it's nothing out of the ordinary. I haven't at least attempted once, you know, in the past. It's not like I'm just sure. totally yeah. going. Oh, today's adventure day! Like no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not that cruel, you know. Because guess what? I want to eat too. <laughs> Well, well, right, right, right. And, and, and you don't usually like designate a big day, like Thanksgiving or, or, or Christmas dinner, right. As the day to like, try something new, you know, like, it's no. like, you know, you want the, you know, something that you've got, Absolutely. you know, in the, in the kitty, right. I, right. And I mean, I mean, we still, again, it's just like, if I've got my druthers, it's Chinese food on Christmas, man. You know, I, it's just, that's well, Chinese takeout. Yeah. 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 Love yeah. it. Big yeah, takeout uh, order on Christmas. Last, last, uh, last Thanksgiving, we were in New Orleans. So we had, you know, Cajun food. I think, I, you know, I, I, the turkey was not, you know, it wasn't something we had last year, you know. So, I mean, it, it like it, 
you got to do it. You got to do it. And as long as you're not like, what is it? Uh, it's Tim Allen and the Santa Claus where he goes to like, you know, uh, uh, the Denny's and is mm-hmm. like taking his kids to Denny's right on, <laughs> on Christmas or Thanksgiving. What a great because... dad. <laughs> Thanks, dad. <laughs> I mean, I mean, at least it, first of all, bonus points for mentioning a Tim Allen movie. I really don't think that's may cross our lines again on this, on this particular program. Uh, bonus points number two, because it just made me think, of course, of a Christmas story. Uh, and, you know, when at least the Bumpest is ruined uh, or the Bumpest hounds ruined their Christmas dinner and they were forced to try Chinese food. So, you know. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm on uh, around the horn, right? And you're giving me points, like for the uh, or or what was extra, that? What was that extra. shitty Chris Hardwick show uh, that was on like comedy? So she go oh, points, God. give you points, yeah, there points, points. I'm just like shut up, you idiot. Things <laughs> things that could not exist on the air today, uh, like the first ten seasons of South Park, the first uh, wow, well, the Man the Show 10? could never play right on. Oh just no, the, no yeah. you know I don't know. We're yeah, we're going through it again, but yeah, the first ten probably, and then the Man Show. You remember the Man Show? There's there's no way. I do. There's no way. I do. Cancel. I'm sure. Done. Like that's why done. that's why you want to look at Jimmy Kimmel sometimes and go shut up. Um, I, I know, right? Like, because I'm like just people, like I know I, mean, I, I know who you are. I, it's just like right. the man show Ben Stein's money. I'm just like you can pretend all you want. I'm like no, 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 no. We in your heart, crank yankers. I know who you are. So yep, yes, sir, yes, sir. Hence, you hence can't I, hide from I, us. Hence, I can proudly say I've never watched an episode of Jimmy Kimmel Live ever. I don't, you know, people tell me it exists. People tell me that it is on at like ten fifteen <laughs> or something, and I'm like, I it's I will take it on uh, hearsay and rumor. I have I, again one of those things I have zero interest in. Um, did you when what, did when did you stop watching talk shows? When did when did you stop watching talk shows? Well, when Conan went off. Okay, okay. Yeah. So see, we we grew up with Carson Letterman, right? Uh, and Conan. I mean, Conan was Conan, Conan was, was like our the guy. third, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I had some, you know, Arsenio Hall was in there. Like you had some others who like, you know, tried it. Magic Johnson, you know, like tried. I remember the Magic Johnson disaster. I remember the Chevy Chase show (laughs) disaster. Yeah, the Chevy Chase show. Yeah. It was so bad. Like I, it was, (laughs) oh my God. uh, I remember, uh, I even briefly remember Thick of the Night. Alan Thick tried at some point. I think Rick Dees tried at some point too. I remember like abc was like desperate forever you know to get someone in that 10 30 slot yeah you know any and everything yeah yeah well again we only had so many channels too so i mean it was it wasn't like you know we had we had all that going on but yeah no no uh uh, i was you know ride or die with conan and when he finally wrapped the tbs show a few years ago i said yeah i'm done i said this there's just no one to me that's funnier or actually, uh, uh, I really on enjoyed TV. on TV. Right. Yeah. I mean, it just I really enjoyed, honestly, in the last there are some radio, you know, there are some radio people that are still kicking it and doing yes. really well. You know, I mean, I yeah. still will watch. I'll drop anything to listen to Howard Stern. Right. I mean, <laughs> I will. Yeah. What is he? 
does he what is he does like two days a week or something like that now on uh on is he still on like satellite radio that was the big thing Serious. i remember yeah yeah, yeah. he was he yeah. just he declared terrestrial radio uh, uh dead when he left and when took like a billion dollar contract or something good for him just like good for you he's earned it he's earned it <laughs> he's er- well he's certainly done something i, <laughs> I don't know if i ever say anyone has earned it in in that in that capacity uh aside from uh discussing uh the best side dishes of thanksgiving and apparently our love for uh antiquated uh antiquated media uh we're lonely phds i'm dr jeffrey hayes he's dr joseph watson uh we discuss movies on this show which i guess is an, is that an antiquated thing or is it that you know that that we you know try to break them down i don't I know suppose. is, it, know, is that, it antiquated i think there's very few of us doing it hmm. I, I i don't know like you again know, like, I, I i tend to ignore any trends or anything like that i just instead just go with I know this is old, arty, and inspirational, but you know, it's just like, well, if I want to do it, I just kind of do it, you know. So, I mean, that's you know, just sort of what drives me, and also, you know, doing it for uh, for the benefit of uh, our students and ourselves. So it's just that's right. One of those things. Uh, wow, there's another rant. Man, it must be the holidays. Um, anyway, we watched a couple <laughs> films this week. Ooh, can you see how the editing's going to go this week? Um, <laughs> This is like a private preview for you and me. Um, we watched a couple yeah, films this week. Uh, I, uh, I, I, for some reason, stayed on the new Hollywood kick that I started last week uh, with Heaven's Gate, and, and I continued unconsciously. I picked Sorcerer from William Freak in 1977 this week. Dr. Watson picked Never the, seen uh, it, Jeff. Oh, wow. Well, we're going to have an interesting uh, yeah. little convo about that. Uh, Dr. Watson it. picked what is called probably the best Thanksgiving film ever made. Uh, about trying to get home at Thanksgiving, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, directed by John Hughes, uh, 1987, if I'm not mistaken, 87, 88, somewhere in that wheelhouse. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get into that. Uh, I'm going to lead off with Sorcerer this week just because it's, it's fresh on my uh, uh, the old melon. Uh, I, I was watching it uh, last night, and uh, I, I just happened to be in the library the other day and and i was walking through and i got to pass like the dvd i'd gone to pick up some books <laughs> oh braggadocious alert and you know uh thanks tig nataro for that one and and you know i was picking up my books in reserve and i have to walk past the dvd place and for some reason I, the staff picks were out and someone on the staff had picked sorcerer and i was like Oh, oh that, yeah, that's I've been meaning to watch that, you know. So it's just like, thank you, public library rando person. Like this will <laughs> this will work out great for me. So that was my choice process. Was that I, so? That's why I said it was it was kind of serendipitous because this is again what what has been tagged as one of the films from New Hollywood that helped kill the New Hollywood movement. Uh, what people don't know about this film is that it opened a month after Star Wars. So really, in all honesty, Star Wars killed it. It it wasn't, you know, sorry, everybody, but, you know, that's just like, and by the way, Star Wars killed everything in 1977 from May to December. So it's just like, you you could literally throw anything out there. There was just nothing else that was going to be fair in comparison. 
to make in my research, I was reading, it was very funny that they, uh, 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 Freakin and them got really angry because Grauman's Chinese theater was like, no, we just want to show Star Wars. And they're like, no, contractually, you told us, you know, you're going to have to show Sorcerer. Well, they put Sorcerer in for like two weeks. And like nobody showed up, so they put in Star Wars. Yeah, we came to see Star Wars. What do you I'm mean sorry. it's not playing? Well, and again, we, we, we were talking about this last week, that people of, of many generations now don't realize that there used to be one theater. And you went, you know, and these movie houses had one theater, and they showed one movie, and that was it. And, you know, again, you know, these bookings, you have to have to do these way, way in advance and how that system worked, you know, even, which is actually kind of mind-blowing seeing that, all the rejection of the studio system and, you know, they blocked them from owning movie theaters anymore. And, you know, all of that, it still turned out in the end. It's just like, you still have to contractually get in bed with movie studios, you know, to book these, to book these films. I mean, even today, that's still how it works. I mean, it's as, it's as old as like comic book publishing for God's sakes. But, uh, okay. So Sorcerer, uh, so this film, uh, again, directed by William Friedkin, uh, people most familiar with William Friedkin from The Exorcist, some people more familiar with him from The French Connection, uh, some people might stretch him out to blue chips. I don't know. You know, it, it, it could happen. Um, I know that's up on your list. Uh, <laughs> blue chips is underrated. It's underrated. Oh, that's, it. that's your Shaq bias coming through. Well, it's Nick Nolte's great in that movie. He's great. Are you going to get down and it's get perfect. him out? Exactly. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's it's a perfect, perfect uh, role for him. And yeah. and and back in the day when I was I was doing a movie called Being Awesome, uh, and I played uh, this uh, coach, like basketball coach. And, you know, there really wasn't much of a script. They, they wanted to get, like, B-roll. So I had to improvise. This is you know, coming off last week, right? We were talking about how to improvise. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they said, uh, we want you to run this practice, right? So I meet, like, these five, six, you know, real basketball players, you know. And I, I'm not a basketball coach, right? But, like, right. fortunately, I knew enough about basketball to be like, Okay, we're gonna run this pick and roll right here, right? And I just go out there and just like improvise. And I did the Nick Nolte like yell and scream that he does in in the thing. Uh, so Nick Nolte, blue chips. That's it. But back to that's, William Friedkin. Yes, yes. There so, you go. so Friedkin, you know, Friedkin's a well, he, he's a very confident man. Is how I will how I will put it uh, in every interview I've ever read with him or seen with him. Again, the Hollywood New School really, really did not suffer from a lack of ego, uh, you know, whatsoever. They really believed in, and, and that actually comes through in, in so many of their, you know, in so many of their films, even if I disagree with the end product, it certainly always is them pushing buttons and pushing people forward and making their project seem like, you know, it is the most important thing you know, in the world. And that's an understandable thing because making a movie is a very personal thing. And it, it, it takes, you know, such a massive amount of people and willpower just to make one happen. So I, I always give him kudos, but yeah, you know, freaking <laughs> just the word I'll use again is unapologetic. Uh, it's always about, you know, well, maybe, uh, you know, like, you know, why things didn't work. Cause 
he's really only had a few successes in his actual career. French Connection was a success. The Exorcist was a success. Um, to Live and Die in L.A. was a success. Uh, but other than that, everything's sort of diminishing, you know, re uh, returns. And, you know, I like his sense of establishment of place. I think he always does a really good job with that. I think he's able to also, I think that he is unafraid of, you know, kinetic movement. Um, I mean, car chases aside, everybody will always go the French connections about car chase, blah, blah, blah. And so to live and die in L.A. too has an amazing, you know, car chase set piece on the L.A. freeway. But, you know, he, he has a really good sense of, you know, movement. Uh, and and I, I found in Sorcerer especially uh, that this was so important because basically you're trying to create tension by watching people drive a truck 20 miles an hour, <laughs> you know, in the final basic set piece of the film, you know? Uh, so this right. film, this film is about four different men from four different parts of the world who are basically on the run from something, from some sort of criminal activity uh, in their life. And this stars the amazing Roy Scheider uh, who here is post jaws uh, and pre all that jazz uh, but definitely in his wheelhouse, you know, of that late 70s. Uh, um, not, I mean, character, actor, leading man. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's just like, it's, yeah. he just fits so perfectly. And he'd worked with Friedkin on, on the French Connection. But uh, so we, get, we have four basic criminals who are on the run and they end up in this uh, country in South America uh, that, you know, they're hiding in. They don't know each other. Um, and we know what they've done in their past, but, you know, uh, and I like the way freaking does that. He actually sets up the film. We start the film, uh, with four vignettes of each of these guys, what they do wrong. Uh, what's even more interesting about this and probably was very frustrating to an American, at least an American movie going you know, public is that the first three vignettes are in a four or subtitled, you know, uh, we go from like Germany to Jerusalem to France. Uh, so the first, honestly, the first 20 minutes of this film has no, no dot, like it's all in subtitles, um, which is a very bold move. Um, and I, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I was like, I don't understand what's going on, but I am in, cause I'm immediately like, what, where's this going? You know what I mean? Like where we keep jumping around the world and, and, you know, what 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 is how is he going to make all this come together you know and then he right. opens his right. set piece he finally opens the reveal you know in uh, 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 South America and we slowly see each character in the same place and it's like oh okay this is where they've ended up like they they've been on the run gotcha. from the law and this is where they are and down in South America uh, we of course have all of these oil companies uh, that are you know, using labor to, to build oil pipelines. And this is where these guys have gone, right? Cause this is where they can work and no one's going to ask them any questions and, you know, they can basically escape their lives. But unfortunately they're trapped in these countries, this particular country, because this is a country run by uh, a dictator. So, you know, there is no out, you know, once you're in, you're in, and there is no out because you can't afford to get out. You know, you're, you're making like, right. 
20 pesos a year or something like that, you know, and the, and the law is corrupt and it's all this. And uh, so it comes around that, you know, uh, uh, an oil, one of the oil wells explodes, right? So now we have a huge oil fire and anyone who's ever seen an oil fire knows that once those wells explode, it's like a huge, nothing but just a huge fire in the air until they dynamite it to, to close it off, right? To suck all the air out and to, and to seal it off. Well, the, the, the interesting part here is that the only dynamite available to immediately close this thing is very old and is sweating glycerin. Uh, and they have to hire, they go to the town, the oil town is just like, we're looking for four good men to drive these trucks, you know, and you will be paid like 10,000 pesos or something, you know, to transport this thing 200 miles, you know, in a truck over rough terrain, you know, and they tell them they're honest with them. It's like, it's this dynamite. You may make it, you may not, you know, and of course our four main people are the people that, you know, that towed it. So they give a little bit of a explanation or they kind of gloss over why the oil company couldn't get some other dynamite you know what i mean like it's it's <laughs> freaking tries the screenwriter tries by saying like oh it's too we got to cap this thing right away you know and it's just like uh, okay like you really couldn't fly it in you know a couple extra days here or there <laughs> but that again you know it it, it feeds into the whole greed and not caring about human, you know what I mean? Like it all feeds into a much larger uh, uh, idea that, you know, capitalism doesn't care about shit. Like, you know, it's just like, yeah, put people's lives in danger. Screw it. You know, all, all that stuff, just to make sure that it happens, you know, a day sooner or whatever. But um, the major set piece in this film uh, is they have to drive these rickety trucks over this very rickety bridge over a river in a monsoon, like three miles an hour. It is an exquisite set piece of tension and action. And oh my God, are they going to make it? You know, I mean, again, one of the things that freaking does well is are these, are these set pieces. Uh, but that's, you know, those are the basics of, you know, of Sorcerer. And I wanted to ask you, because you, you have a bit more knowledge about this than I do, what, what was the obsession of a lot of these 70s filmmakers and South America? Like, why did they, why did they feel so attracted to, you know, the 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 revolutions going on down there and the the you know the 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 imbalance and 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 the dictatorships you know and all of this it it seems to be an obsessive line again running you know and Oliver Stone picks up the ball and runs with it a little bit into the 80s with you know until what Salvador I think is 83 or 84 somewhere yeah 85 yeah yeah, yeah somewhere in there but, so you yeah. know at the at the height of you know Iran Contra and, and cocaine running and you know all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say I think drugs was probably the first. The first By the way, drugs that drugs have no play in this film whatsoever. This is all about which is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
it's about corporate right yeah mm-hmm. it's it's about corporations um i so i think that probably i mean drugs is the is the easy answer but i mean i think we could also say that this is a group of filmmakers that were um very globally aware of what was going on in the world uh, particularly how dirty american politics and commerce mixed uh in these places um, because, you know, they're coming out of a post-Vietnam era where they're quite aware of, you know, um, our shady international relations, Nixon et al., right? Uh, so I think you had a generation of filmmakers growing up that were just a little bit more aware, right, of what was going on um, and trying to somehow shed some light on those uh, on those issues. I mean, I think that's a second more robust answer um mm-hmm. and you you do you do see that from uh from several filmmakers you know uh, from that uh, from that era um yeah yeah and, and i think it's 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 really well not parodied but certainly a more humorous slant is found in romancing the stone you know with, <laughs> with oh yeah we, yeah we we have like the infamous scene where they come across the the plane that went down with all the marijuana in it you know, and the infamous line where he finds all the old Roman stones is like, God damn it, the Doobie Brothers broke up. You know, it's just like it's like seven years <laughs> <Yeah>. too late. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's it's there. What amazes me, Jeff, is this. So so you're going to laugh, but I mean, I've always seen Sorcerer on, you know, Freakin's list. But I think, oh, that must be a fantasy movie. Okay, I'm glad you bring that up because it is even he even admitted this. I finally I was tracked down to all my information I was reading and he he admitted he originally thought that he had some metaphorical convoluted explanation about it. But, you know, later he was like, yeah, it was a bad title. Um, people yeah. thought, <laughs> Do you think, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, yeah, um, because it. Yeah, no. It it goes down as one of I the I mean, honestly, time. yeah, I mean, honestly, that's 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 the reason why I haven't seen it before now. I don't even know if I've even seen any cover art for it, but I mean, like you you know, because there were a series of of fantasy films like Excalibur and a couple of oh, you know yeah. that like the Beastmaster, you, know, uh, so you was, know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for some reason, erroneously, obviously, I had sort of like lumped that into that sort of little pile of just from the title so you know because mm-hmm. i just never read much about it i'd only seen it as a credit to him mm-hmm. uh in his uh, body of work so now you're telling me it's this kind of action mellow political melodrama in a way yes. uh that is radically different from anything that i had conceived about it and so now i definitely want to watch it because it sounds like in mm-hmm. some ways that, that he's taken elements of the movie Convoy from the 70s, um, which is like, you know, mm-hmm. this the, we mm-hmm. had this obsession in the mm-hmm. 70s with trucker culture, right? So I see, I know, we're, yeah, so jump in because well, I, no, no, I, 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 I see I think parallels. I think that's interesting. No, it was more based on a, a, a book in a French film called The Wages of Fear. Um, in fact, ah, it was okay, pretty okay. much lifted from that uh and i have not seen wages of fear so therefore i cannot speak to it but in my research you know it talked at great length about the original book and then the french film and that yes this is indeed like lifting the idea of it 
which is basically the same idea, although he changes a bunch of characters' motivations and uh, also uh, the ending. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, and, and makes it his own. Uh, but in Europe, it was released as Wages of Fear and not Sorcerer. He was smart enough to, like, you know, but it wasn't, uh, you know, again, um, based on... I bet it did better, though. I bet it did better. No, because Overseas people that, really uh, liked the... Uh, really? Really loved that Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. No, because people the original wage. <laughs> we don't want you to see wages try, of fear. We're Star Wars. We see the Star Wars. Um, <laughs> and a young Luke Basson was in that audience, and he said, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to rip this what is off." It Kevin Smith. <laughs> Kevin Smith tells that great story about going up to his first interview over there for uh, clerks and uh, that the, that the French film critic was like, so these Jay and Simon Bob, they are like a C3PO and R2D2, huh? <laughs> and he was like completely blown away. Right. That, that, he was like, wow, I never even thought about that, like, comparison. But, you know, it's like the French, they just they just think differently about cinema over there. So it, it is it is a culturally uh, uh, dedicated exercise and has been as long as film has been around. Uh, and, you know, that's not to say, though, that the French don't make shitty films because they do. what do you mean we have a lumiere brothers we have uh, uh, they they make from us trust me they make garbage (laughs) they make garbage too everybody makes garbage (laughs) even 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 films made at chinachetta there there is garbage that comes out so i mean it's just like everybody (laughs) calm down they made a lot of shitty westerns at chinachetta so i'm like oh no That's what, that's what I don't know. Like the, I see Sergio Leone, yeah. Sergio Leone's ghost, and Federico Fellini, and all, they're all uh, centering around you now, Jeff. Okay, they can you. come get me. That's fine. Take me away, guys. Get, I'm going to movie in there. We'll I'm get going. Them all. I'm going to <laughs> film scholar jail. <laughs> all suggesting. the Italian neorealists—they're all—they're all swirling around you now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, next thing you know, Lena Wartmuller is going to—you know—jump up out of nowhere and just put me in a headlock. <laughs> what do you mean you don't like Seven Beauties? Um, I'm like, oh, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Um, sorry, Lena. Yeah, good, good job. Show me G and Carlos. Thanksgiving, Espe- everybody. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Now we're just ranting. <laughs> Yeah, and I, have oh, I, so love much, it. I love it. I have so much editing to do this week. Um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, Sorcerer, he mistitled Sorcerer. Uh, they couldn't, and of course, he had one of those contracts, you know, once he put things in motion, he couldn't, you know, the studio really couldn't do anything about it. And, you know, he was just like, no, it's called Sorcerer. Anyway, he admitted later that, yes, it was it was a very bad choice. Uh, and that's why it's languished also, because, again, just like you, I mean, people think it means something else. And also, this movie was in ownership limbo for 30 years. I mean, it didn't even hit home video until the late 90s, early 2000s, because nobody knew who owned it. Like, they've just recently, in the last 10 years, put out the Blu-ray and the commentaries and that a 35-millimeter print now exists of it uh, to be shown at film festivals and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean... It seems to me to be one of those films that 
always got talked about. And then, like you said, you know, you'd hear it on Freakin's CV, but yet we couldn't locate it because you couldn't find a copy of it. But now, you know, it's being quote unquote, the, the, the chic term in film scholarship is reevaluated. That's 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 the term we that is bandied about like all the time. This film's being reevaluated. We're going to reassess it. We're going to oh look at see you dragged the French right into it again. That's your own fault. <laughs> I love the French, but uh, they have we, made bad movies. You're right. Yes. Uh, by the way, France sponsor us. Um, we're just we're yes, right. We'll watch all of them. I tell you, all of those films. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so yeah. So no, um, you know, Sorcerer is interesting also as a film that it's one of those rarities of watching a real character study progression. And again, when you've got Roy Scheider, you're not going to waste him, you know, and he just is so good watching him get sicker and sicker throughout the film, like literally looking like he's getting his soul sucked from him till the very end um, where he just looks like a dead man walking and he's, he's carrying this case of dynamite in the end. He's going to get it there. It is just like, Jesus Christ. Like it's just, just a masterful, you know, performance from him, a masterful direction from freaking, you know, getting this performance out of him. And from what I understood in my reading, a really difficult shoot uh, in South America. I mean, many, many months people got malaria, you know, fell out. Uh, the the government down there tried to jail like most of the film crew for drug possession. Uh, it was it, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare and it caused the movie to go way over budget. And that did not help Freakin's uh, Freakin's game plan in the end. So maybe it could have got released before Star Wars. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. Again, nobody, we all look at Star Wars now in hindsight and just like, no one predicted that. No one, you could never, there was just going to be the, again, it was going to be the silly kids movie. And no one, no one knew, you know, until they went to the screenings and went, oh shit, we're in trouble. Like, I, I think, you know, probably that's always the story I hear about Star Wars from people who were around at the time who got to go to like preview screenings and when it was really all finished, you know, and, and everyone in Hollywood just basically breathed and went, holy shit, what are we going to do now? Because this is a game changer. So, yeah. Yep. I saw, I saw a, a clip recently because uh, uh, the Fablemans is coming out this week. And yes. I saw a clip where Spielberg was talking about seeing one of the first roughest rough cuts of star Wars and how, you know, there were no special effects shots and it was, you know, and he had subbed in like world war two, like airplane yes. footage, like for the, you know, for the trench and all this, you know, and, and, and Spielberg now, you know, is like, well, uh, myself and Alan Ladd, we were the only ones in the room oh, that said, George, this is amazing. You know, like we were the, oh, we were the oh, only ones bullshit. that saw the vision. I'm like, I'm like, Come on, Stevie. Come on. You didn't at some point go, George, this is a mess. How are you going to make this cut? You know, how are you going to, you... <laughs> you're going to lose everything, George. Right. I, you know, I just like, that's what, that's what I like about the self mythologizing of Spielberg. Like he just, you know, he can't, he can't be touched. 
you know, and that's why I like, cause it's like, oh, I would have. It's very t- interesting. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. I, yeah. Yeah. With yeah, Fableman's I, coming out, it makes it even more very interesting. Well, I just, I reckon I've told people just like, don't waste your time with that HBO documentary. It really doesn't tell you anything. Like it's just, it's self mythologizing and it's just really a party. You know, it's not, it's not a critical analysis of his work by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I, I actually, I put it right there with that God awful De Palma documentary by uh, Jake Paltrow and them, you know, where it's Brian De Palma oh, yeah, literally commenting yeah. on his films for 90 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is objective about this exactly? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, what masturbation? I mean, it's okay to get their take, but it, yeah, it needs to be counterbalanced. Yeah. I mean, yeah. no counterbalance, literally putting a camera in front of Brian De Palma and listening to him talk about every single film for 90 minutes in I mean, I mean, I just remember sitting there at one point and going, Jesus, are they going to cut to another talking head at some point? Nope, <laughs> not happening. I mean, That's but at least they had, at least they That's were. That's interesting because he, he's another one of those film school generation kids, though. And so it's mm-hmm. very interesting to me that there may be a trend there between all of them where they're to self-mythologize and, and like control oh God, their yes. story. Uh yeah, at the very end, uh, or, at, or at least in Act 3 of their career, right? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, the Palmas passed that's, away that's now. That's something so, worth digging into. You know. Yeah. And yeah. I am I, I, I can't say whether, I don't know if he knew. I'm not sure how he died, but if maybe he knew he was ill, you know, and, and was just like, well, I at least want to get this down, you know, for posterity's sake. Uh, we're Lonely PhDs. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes. He's Dr. Joseph Watson. We just got done talking about Sorcerer, uh, William Freakin's 1977 uh, uh, film that is being uh, reevaluated, as they say. Uh, I, and I was happy to come across it. Uh, up next, Dr. Watson is going to dive into one of the Thanksgiving classics here uh, in, in American cinema, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And I will preface this conversation by saying I saw this in the movies with my with my folks and my family. And it was, again, packed movie theater, Steve Martin, John Candy, John Hughes. I, I still remember, I've never seen, other than watching Save, Saving Private Ryan in the movie theaters, I've never seen so many adults cry in my life as, as I saw at planes, at the end of planes, trains, and automobiles. Wow. That's that's quite a statement right there yes. uh, because you know the movie is billed as as uh kind of an odd couple comedy right mm-hmm. you've got and it's a road picture in a way right um so just real quick if you don't know right uh steve martin plays neil page uh who is trying to get home to his family for thanksgiving from new york to chicago uh, encounters a slew of transportation and other kinds of barriers and issues um and uh in his, during his journey home he meets uh Del Griffith who's played by the shower curtain ring guy who's played by John Candy uh and um uh you know Steve Martin's the straight guy right it's John yes. Candy's movie um you know he he's he's the one that carries it uh and so we're you know we follow them on their journey home right so it's billed mm-hmm. as this kind of like goofy like road picture <laughs> and it certainly gives John Candy 
like tremendous space, right, to do mm-hmm. his thing. And it's 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 really nice because there was a series of films in the late eighties, mostly John Hughes produced or directed projects yes. where John Candy was allowed to sort of really shine, right? And do mm-hmm. and do his thing. Um and uh but the pairing of these two comedians together is really the joy of just kind of watching them work off each other and the timing and um and at the end you know i mean it's it's a very sort of poignant sweet uh bittersweet in some ways ending um you know because he discovers that uh, dell is is you know dell doesn't have a family to go home to for Thanksgiving. And so, you know, and it, it takes Steve Martin 90 minutes to like realize this. Right. But, um, uh, right. But, uh, but he does and he goes and he gets him. And of course he takes him to, you know, to his house for Thanksgiving dinner. And so there's a very, very sweet, uh, uh, warm message at the end. Right. Uh, and it does, it gets me, if, if you're not crying, by the time that he gets back to the train station, he opens it up and you see Dell sitting there on the bench, like by himself with all, you know, right. That, that, that's the moment where it gets me. What are you doing here? Um, uh, yeah. 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 I just didn't. Yeah. If you're not crying by the time you start to hear every time you go away. <laughs> like once that music right. starts and you see them carrying the suitcase down the, the, the trunk down the street. If you're not a blubbering mess, I just don't have much for you. So I'm just like, where is your soul? It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a great, sweet movie. Right. And it's got, you know, some, some wonderful comedic setups. Uh, oh yeah. It, it's got that uh, balance. You know, it's just got, it just has such a wonderful balance. And, and, you know, it also, like you said, it gives candy room to to probably give his all-time best scene you know where i like me my wife likes me my customers like me you know it's just like that's that's he doesn't get any better than that in his career he really really doesn't well i was i'm glad you mentioned that because you mentioned to me earlier that that scene was one of your favorites you know and um it is it's a great it's a great moment. It's a great piece of writing, but it's also a great moment for that character because Dell is so self-confident, right? I mean, he just, he, he has this sort of like grounding in himself that Steve Martin's character, Neil just doesn't seem to have, but Neil seems to envy like, and kind of want, right. This kind of assuredness. Um, uh, and, and so I think that's what drives the intrigue. Like, what is it about this guy that I'm so like, you know, oh, okay. It's, you know, it's that he's hiding this, you know, um, this pain. Right. Um, uh, and he's hiding his, his, his loneliness. Um, lots of stuff in this Jeff that, you know, in 2022, does the pillows joke, like, is it canceled now? Like we can't, we can't have that. We had a great discussion at, at my house about it after watching the movie. Okay, what happened? Um, what happened to so bring me up to speed with that? Like I because I well, the, you know, I, I was just going to say that the majority of people that watched it with me are you know of a different generation, um, and they 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 thought it was funny, like they laughed, right? But then after the movie, we started talking about the homophobic sort of 
humor and how that surrounds that moment and how you have to have that conversation right in 2022 <laughs> about it like you know why is it funny and all, you, you know and why well, is it I, not funny now i would personally it, think it, the, i mean it's, it's a good discussion no no you know, no I, discussion. I, would, I would think the humor there is more derived from how many times have you had your ass between a stranger's butt cheeks that you just met like 24 hours ago i think you'd probably pretty much have the same you know reaction you know i don't i don't regardless read, of sexual I don't read orientation it as, yeah i don't I'm read sleeping it as with a stranger yeah. i'm sleeping with a fucking stranger yeah, right, I'm at 24 right. and somehow you know right. my hand is moved in between probably his dirty butt crack you know so i mean yeah i've got a little you know right. little bit of a reaction there <laughs> yeah so that's that's weird well, that, you was, know, that I, was another that was yeah. an, uh, that was another component of the discussion jeff was what were actually the pillows were we talking like his thighs or his butt cheeks or his right i mean that was that was also in discussion. Believe it or not, that was part of the discussion. Well, maybe too. That's part of the layered joke. It's whatever you want it to be. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's his balls. Maybe it's his butt cheeks. Maybe it is his thighs. He's a large guy. You know. Right. Right. So, um, so it was good. It was good. But that I think that moment, um, you know, uh, there are certainly some some uh very funny depictions of midwesterners um which you know could that be baby come outside really <laughs> she <laughs> was specifically of thinking of owen yeah <laughs> the character of owen who, yeah who kind of snorts his snot like as he's laughing and talking right so he does that you know her oh you mean this back. this you bit know, right here where he goes weird. uh it's <laughs> It's just, uh, yeah. So, so yeah. So, uh, representations. And then, you know, the other thing that's fun about watching a movie that's so, um, dated at this point in terms, I mean, it's just aged. Right. And so, you know, Dell smokes everywhere, like in the airport, yes, in the restaurants, like yes. in the motel rooms, like all that, you know, and it's just, it's, it's like pay phones, right. Like trying mm -hmm. to use pay phones to get, uh, in communication with your family, uh, having to leave a message on the answering machine, um, with the, the rental car process, um, just airports, like the way that, you know, the, it just, it, it's interesting to watch it as kind of a time capsule because you just talk about how different things are. Well, now I, from, I, I will argue yeah. the part about the airports and the, well, more specifically, I'll argue the point about that. I think that the rental car is still relevant today uh for anyone who has walked in and the situation that occurs for steve martin i i've been there done that and yeah that's pretty much how i am feeling on the inside <laughs> yeah, if you've ever I, been I, if you've ever been a, bumped like five times before from from your friend you just want to go yes this is how you're right. feeling yes um now as far yeah. as the, and having the, to walk, him just you know back having to walk back to the terminal you know oh my God. Uh, you know he had to walk back like three miles back to the terminal right uh, uh it was just yeah getting bummed from flights rental car companies still frustrating still frustrating still absolutely frustrating. And, and can we shout out probably a goat cameo with kevin bacon as the competing guy who wants to get the cab during rush hour 
probably the funniest thing I've ever seen Kevin Bacon do. And I, I count Animal House with that. Um, it's funny. Yeah. yeah we'll, have find, was, we'll have to find that. Because he talks about uh, how he was just living in New York and they had just finished uh, She's Having a Baby. Right. Another um, John Hughes. With project. John Hughes. And and he had said whatever whatever you want to do you if you want to use me in some small part if you want to you know i just i want to work with you again mm -hmm. and so they did they called him up he, he said they called him up and it was like one day of shooting and he said he had a blast and it, that, that's a great scene it's a lot of fun oh man it, i always think of the brilliance of hughes cutting in on their eyes like as they see each other across the street and they like squint and there's the perfect music cue in there and you just know he's just like a ratty, shitty little fucker. Like he's he's gonna he's gonna <laughs> undercut you <laughs> to get that to get that cab. So so for listeners, we are going on and on and on about this guy John Hughes. Can you give us some background on John Hughes, Joey? Just in case you know people don't really know who we're talking about and why well, he, why he was a big deal. Well, I mean, he was just kind of a comic um, icon of really the 80s. Um, I mean, I think he's probably most known for his focus on youth teenage films from The Breakfast Club to 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller, some, you know, some kind of wonderful take your pick. Mm -hmm. um, but early on in his career, you know, he was responsible for uh, Vacation with yes. uh, Chevy Chase. Um he also wrote the script for Christmas Vacation, um, you know, uh, and then he did Uncle Buck and Planes, Trains and Automobiles and some movies in the late 80s, early 90s that kind of veered away um, from his youth work. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he just created some some amazing characters and some um, real strong connection with particularly the youth of the 80s. And so. It's not to say that looking back at his films that they're not problematic in some ways, but um, you know you can't deny his importance as a as an artist coming out of that period. I mean, he's just he's kind of molded that for um, for at least you know. I mean, I think it's still there in some ways. You know, John Hughes's mold and effect on the teenage genre, right? Um, and and we could also say comedy overall because, you know, they're still uh, showing Home Alone every... There you go. Even <laughs> every that Thanksgiving, was, they're that still was showing planes, trains, and automobiles, everything. Yeah. Yes, but written and produced by John Hughes, right? So he, yes. you know, I mean, he he wasn't always directing, but he's, his hand was definitely there. I mean, he was an extremely fast writer, um i read where he he wrote planes trains and automobiles in like three days um he writes the scripts very quickly um and then he goes back and rewrites but yeah he he turns them out fast and uh yeah and he passed away uh a while back um he he has he has left us now but he he certainly has a, an amazing legacy of of movies um that people can dig through and 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 talk about like we're doing today yeah yeah we were all introduced to him without knowing it first with the original vacation. Uh, and then later in life, I found out that he actually was a writer at National Lampoon, uh, the magazine, and that he wrote the story vacation for National Lampoon. And that's what they optioned uh, based on his own uh, uh, experiences. And, uh, you know, I mean, we're talking Chevy Chase and his absolute prime 
trying to be the all-American dad, parroting the all-American dad, parroting the all-American family, you know, vacation, we're going to get in the car and drive across country. And, and you know, I, I watched about 20 minutes of that remake, reboot with Ed Helms. And I, I like Ed Helms, but I was just like, what? Just call this something else. Like, don't... You know, they they bagged it with like he's rusty, all grown up and, you know, all this. And I was just like, no, no, I get the IP part of it. But you you probably would have had a better chance with this movie uh, if you had just gone a complete like just. Didn't keep it in the vacation legacy, I guess, is what I uh, uh, was ultimately getting at. But yeah, yeah, it's just like that was a film that that that. you know, believe it or not, because it's completely inappropriate. Uh, but as as we've learned as being 80s children, we saw many inappropriate things. Uh, our parent with with family, you know, I, I'll, I'll even one up you, I'll up it to European vacation. I mean, that might be the first time I ever saw naked breasts on screen with my mother sitting right there next to me. And it was rated PG-13 awkward awkward yeah Yeah. i made up for it later by going to see eyes wide shut with them so it's okay (laughs) yeah so it's it's over now um i you know so hughes always focused i think on the suburban you know domestic family and sort of those conflicts right um would we say that vacation I I just I I think I have to agree with you that their mistake was tying it to that IP. They should have just tried to twist. It wasn't like it was un unfunny because there were parts of it that were mm-hmm. that made me giggle. Mm-hmm. But I think only the parts that made me giggle were the parts that sort of reminded me of the of the original, right? So it's not mm-hmm. like that's not like they're necessarily churning out anything new yeah Um, well you know too it's just like trying to copy hughes's dna is so hard because again he was writing from personal midwestern sensibility um and and that's you know like all great humorists from the midwest and lord knows there's a gaggle of them uh you know you just there's just some sensibility about that part of the country that and especially that came, you know, out of the 70s and into the 80s. And it was ripe for sort of raking over the coals because, you know, all of a sudden you had all of these professional people who really had no interest in continuing traditions, right? And the core of so many of Hughes's films um, is why do we continue these traditions? You know, what, you know, how important is family? You know, and ultimately, of course, his answer is, well, family is the most important thing. You know, I mean, it's just like (laughs) we keep these we keep these things going uh, 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 in order to do these things. Uh, You know, it's it's not Thanksgiving is a day. And I think that that. It is important to get home, but the lesson that Steve Martin learns is that it's about the people around you. Right. Hence bringing in, you know, Dell and, and introducing him to the family. And he's obviously really too late to celebrate the holiday, but it's about the people that you surround yourself with. Vacation works on the same level. It's just like Clark's absolute, you know, dire need to make this work. 
right? To show he's a good father. He's a good father by just by the very fact of even attempting this. You know, it's it's just not about the finish. It's it's about it's the journey, not the destination, right? And and Hughes right. does this too, even in his teen films. With uh, you know, it's it's about you know, especially in like in Pretty in Pink. I think about, you know, although I will never forgive them for changing the ducky ending, but you know, yeah, I know, I, I know yeah. he regretted it too. From what, from what I read, it was just yeah. like, it, that was a big regret for him. Uh, he, he said that was a mistake. Uh, but then again, a test audience, there you go. Test audiences sometimes work and sometimes test audiences take away from us the most obvious, <laughs> you know, the most obvious thing in the world. So, um, yep. yeah. Yeah, I think he gets it right with uh, some kind of wonderful um, because that's 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 more of a favorite of mine than Pretty in Pink um, because it takes the same concept as Pretty in Pink, flips it, um, and then in that movie, the people from the right side of the tracks, you know, end up with their own people on that side of the tracks. Right? There's no crossover. Uh, you know, there's no Romeo and Juliet uh, kind of uh, ending. Um, you know, where the two star-crossed lovers from different households uh, get together. Mm -hmm. um, in his case, it's the different sides of the tracks, right? But I'm also mm -hmm. fascinated by, and this Del, this character of Del Griffith reminded me of how much John Hughes sticks the thematics of isolation and loneliness mm -hmm. into his stories. Mm -hmm. um, and usually it's family that comes back at the end as the thing that's been haunting, right? This isolation and loneliness of a character. Right. Um, because I think the scene that gets me in home alone every year, uh, is, uh, the grandpa character who's shoveling snow, who Kevin is scared of through half yes. the movie. And then of course, at the end, he ends up having this wonderful relationship with him and, and you realize that he's estranged from his family. Right. And that's mm -hmm. what the whole thing is that, you know, pulls them back together. Um, uh, is, is that family, uh, thread that family plot, um, so it's it's definitely thematic in his work, um, whether it's a character that's obsessed with upholding that tradition as you're talking about, mm -hmm. or it's a character that has been isolated from having those kinds of traditions and needs to be brought back into the fold, right? To mm -hmm. to experience that again. So that's like I think I think we're doing him justice by describing it in that way. So yeah, I love that I, idea of tradition. That's that's dead on, Jeff. That's dead on. Yeah, and you know whether he. I don't, I don't know, again, based on, I don't, I haven't read enough critical work on him. Um, well, my mine is always just based on conversations with other film people and, you know, uh, bits here and there, but uh, I, I'd be surprised if he had planned to make a Thanksgiving movie. I think he set it around Thanksgiving because again, he needed, you know, to, to make that central theme somehow, you know, pop and I know Christmas vacation. Well, he comes says it, Jeff, 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 yeah. Jeff, I have to throw this in here. Oh, he okay. says that he based this on actual events that happened to him while he was traveling, like that okay. he actually was trying to make it from X place to X place. And he got rerouted to Wichita and like the, and that a lot of um, that experience is what motivated it. But I agree with you that setting it around Thanksgiving as a writer is incredibly smart because it not only gives you a marketing angle, but it gives you that focus on tradition, right? That he's able to use that as a 
as the narrative kind of relay that he keeps going back to um, in the in the story. You know, it's what drives the whole thing. Why do you have to get home so fast? Because it's tradition. I got to be there for Thanksgiving, right? Um, mm-hmm. So uh, let's I, see. I think that's all interwoven. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. Let's see. Sixteen candles is about your sixteenth birthday, right? Um, Pretty in pink is about prom. Pretty in pink is about prom. Planes, trains, and automobiles about Thanksgiving. Christmas vacation is about Christmas. Vacation is about the summer, the summer trip, right? That's like supposed to bind us back when we had it. Uh, uh, culturally, we did summer from, you know, the end of May to September. Um, and, and it was Paris a little Bueller's bit. about graduation. Um, like what to do next. Yeah. You know, that's, that might be the outlier there, Joey. I, I, I'm. Hmm. yeah and I, well, well I i'm just gonna drop this Fer- ferris bueller's day off is really a suicide prevention movie disguised as a comedy oh cameron yeah you know i i, I mean the the it's the, the tragedy of cameron is just is is still unbelievable we rewatched that film uh, about three years ago and just were i was admiring uh how well it still held up yes Yes. You know, and, and just created such a heartbreaking counterpoint, you know, to 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 Ferris, you know, and, and uh, uh, he's although, lonely. Cameron's lonely. Cameron's yeah, lonely, lonely. And, and, you know, but Ferris is a bit of a he's literally character. the third wheel through the whole movie. He's literally the third wheel through the whole movie. <laughs> yes, he is. Ferris Bueller, you're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we ate, we ate, we ate pancreas. Yeah. <laughs> you are, you are Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. I weep for the future. <laughs> I don't know who that actor is. I've always wanted to make a note to look that up. But that guy, that maitre d' in that restaurant, that's like an all-time... <laughs> He must have been out of like Second City or something. He must have he must have been a Second City Probably. guy because it was just like it just he ate up every second. Snarky, just, just snarky. Just, you know, I thought Ugh. he was just. I thought he was. I thought he was fucking William Atherton for like the longest time. <laughs> oh, you know, I maybe it was. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. think so. No, 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 no. Atherton. No, because I, I was I was watching Real Genius and and I was like, no, no, it's not the same guy. It's not <laughs> similar, but not the same guy for sure, for sure. Uh, you can get in touch with us a number of ways. You can, uh, of course, always subscribe to the show, rate and review it. Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google. Uh, wherever you get your podcatching needs from, you can go over to our Discord, click on the link in our show notes, and join us over there for a bunch of extra content and announcements or you can email us lonelyphds at gmail.com and until next time i'm dr jeffrey hayes i'm dr joseph watson we'll see you then